I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to LoveSportRadio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at LoveSportRadio on Twitter. Good evening, this is Love Sport Radio and I am Matt Beadle. It is time for the Leeds United fan show on Love Sport. A bit of background noise there, we're not quite sure what that was. There's something coming into the studio. Crikey, is it the dark cloud that descended over Ellen Road last weekend at around 4.45pm on Saturday because a first defeat of the season four leads in the championship to Swansea in the 90th minute. A Wayne Routledge goal took the spoils for Swansea. They remain unbeaten. They remain top of the league. I am joined by John McKenzie as ever from All Stats, aren't we? And Jack Hardy as well. How are we? Uh, all right. I think uh, visibility is just about improving after the uh, <laughs> the fog of despair descended over us when uh, Swansea came in. Yeah. I'm all right. You know, we sort of had it coming to us. We put a lot of positive stuff out on our on our feed this week, and uh, we've been relentlessly trolled by Swansea fans <laughs> ever since we put we put out a pre- preview which suggested that they were lucky to be where they were in the table, <laughs> uh, which went down very well. With, with so them. this was a statistically based preview. Yeah, yeah. We were just looking at the the way that that Swansea had looked in terms of particularly xG. Um, they've they've scored more than they should, and they've conceded fewer than they should, and so yeah, yeah, their position in the table is looking a little bit lucky, fortuitous. Um, so we we got all of those people along who say, oh, you know, well, when stats when stats are the uh, when the tables are started by stats, that's when we'll yeah. So there's always um, a voice that comes with that, isn't there? There always has to be a voice <laughs> that you put on with that. That's the voice, yeah. That is the, <laughs> that's voice. the stats voice. I always, I always find a certain amount of suspicion that comes with stats that sound like they're a bit too good to be true. Because I think with Swansea, it was like they hadn't beaten us. Home since about yeah. the 1940s, and as soon as I hear something like that, I think, well, it's 1949. <laughs> Only the second time in their history that they've won. So there's been a, a lot of kind of history defining <laughs> stats that we've been shattering in the last <laughs> six months or so. Yeah. Well, speaking of stats, we always start the show, John, with the stat of the week. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, so the stat this week is we've played about 550 minutes in the league so far. Um, we have only been losing for four of those minutes. <laughs> So that's that's my stat for the week. That comes courtesy of Josh Hobbs, who, who works with me at uh, All Stats, aren't we? So thank you, Josh. Wow, that's an incredible stat. However, an important one. Mm. Yeah. It was tough to watch. I've got to say. I mean, I wasn't at the game, of course, but watching what I did in terms of the extended highlights of that game. Listen, what sixty-one percent possession. We've spoken at length about the xG. Again, it came to the fore in this particular game, but. 
Leeds were in the ascendancy. Leeds had the chances, right? Leeds deserved, am I correct in saying that Leeds deserved to win this game? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you've mentioned the, the, the possession, it, 61%, as you said, overall. 65% leads possession in the second half in particular. So it's, I think, particularly galling for us to have conceded a goal in the second half because we were, were increasingly dominant as the game went on uh, and changed things up to, to, to attack a little bit more. Uh, we went with, we went, we brought on Helder Costa and went with two quite attacking um, uh, attacking forwards uh, side by side against uh, with uh, Nketiah in the middle. And so you, you kind of think at that point, you, you're you're expecting maybe an unlucky draw and, and thinking oh, it was just annoying that we just didn't put our chances away and then to to sort of concede a, a sort of fairly scrappy corner at the end from a uh, corner that was given away quite scrappily as well mm. and you just kind of think it's just a whole concatenation of events that just conspired against us and it's it's uh, w- what we expected from last season all over again so yeah hard hard to take but um you know the, the stats are still good and you trust the process that's what you do you trust the process you trust the process i, I gosh, we should get a dinger on this show for the stats are good <laughs> and we trust the process i'm going to tally them up until the end of the season but you did mention the word scrappy there john jack the goal itself i mean you don't mind if you get beaten by a clean strike mm. but he shunted it into the ground and it Bobbled along past Kiko Casilla. Well, yeah, it took on a slightly nightmarish quality for me as well because I happened to be watching on a Swans fan TV. So oh, no. <laughs> the commentary. commentator screaming after kind of <laughs> long stretches of radio silence that have been going on throughout the game. So that rubbed it in slightly worse. But, you know, it's been a consistent weakness, really. I mean, it's been the one area I think it'd be fair to say that we've been uh, lacking on a bit is uh, just set pieces. We've lost the height with Pontus Janssen and we've gone to Brentford over the summer and... Uh, Whilst I think overall we tend to control corners better than I think some people like to give the impression that we do, but undeniably we've conceded a few goals from scrappy corners just like that. Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit complacent perhaps as well. You know, it's the 90th minute we've been dominant in the game, and and it's just a silly, it's a silly set piece, and you lose concentration a little bit, and there was suspicion that maybe maybe some of the players could have been a little bit sharper on on the on the corner, but. It's just, I don't know, it's just—it's so unlucky that it's hard to sort of rationalise it. As soon as you start rationalising, it's just kind of like, well, you know, you could blame it on anyone. You could blame it on Jack Harrison for giving away the corner. You could you could blame it on any sort of series of events. But at the end of the day, we gave, we gave, we gave them an outside chance on, on the edge of the box from a corner. And it, like you said, it was sort of shunted into the floor, bundled past one of their players, almost hit, almost hit one of their mm. players, and then sort of bundles, bundles into the back post. So. And sometimes, as, as hard as it may seem, it, you could probably give a bit of credit to the other team as well <laughs> they defended very well for, for a lot of the game and, yeah, of course. you know they, they had the chance there and then they took it so well that's an interesting point because there's been some quite good literature this week about the way that Swansea set up and Steve Cooper actually came out after the game and he was quite defensive of the fact I mean was very defensive in the way that Swansea played but he was quite defensive of the fact that Leeds deserved to win it and Leeds had the possession and he almost said look hold on a second I worked hard on this and I worked to counteract what Leeds were setting out under Marcelo Bielsa one particular quote was that you know he said we felt there were spaces with the clear way the clear way of playing a good way of playing but we felt there were certain parts of the pitch around the deep midfield where we could get into pockets and turn and hit them on fast attacks yeah, I think the quote that he said was, you know, that Leeds have obvious weaknesses. That's really, the one. Really, I didn't want to say it. I didn't, it didn't want to say it. It really didn't go down very well with the Leeds fans base, understandably. But I think there's there's a phenomenon of, of, of beating Marcelo Bielsa, right? Mm. Um, which is managers then come out and put it down to them being better tactically than him. I think it doesn't happen quite so much with other managers because other managers aren't really sort, sort of touted as being great, great tactical minds. So as soon as we saw it with uh, Nathan Jones as well last year when Stoke beat us, as soon as as soon as a, a team beats us, then then they they say, well, look, we had these tactics, and then we won. Therefore, 
you know, obviously our tactics were just better than than Leeds. And you know, look, I I like the way that I like Steve Cooper. I like the way that his his team set up. I think they're probably a little bit too um, hesitant. I think they they're a little bit slow in transition. But um, I don't think that the things that he said um, that they did, that they were that, that, that those the tactical. Um, uh, particularities that they just that they jumped on. I don't think they actually were the reasons why they won the game. Um, that he mentioned Mike Van der Horn as well, um, mm. pushing into space happened twice <laughs> in the game, and and one time he sort of played the ball out to Jake Bidwell who lost the ball, and then the other time they won a free kick and uh, Bersant Salina mm. hit the hit the wall, and, and you kind of think, well, yeah, okay, that's that's good, that's how you play against Leeds, but just because it comes off twice. Um, doesn't mean to say that it's, I don't think it's really an obvious weakness and, and then there was yeah like you say again there's pockets there's always going to be pockets of space like there's, you have to try and fit 11 players on the field um, and the reason why Leeds are so great is because they're so good at manipulating space so it's, it's, it it will always be hard to find those spaces but at the end of the day you know he they, they created they had two shots on target one of which was the goal they really didn't create much from open play and and they he's just got to admit that it was a smash and grab and everyone else mm. did so I think that's why everyone got annoyed and that's the thing. I mean, it didn't really strike me as particular tactical mastery because I mean they just packed every bit. They packed the box really. There wasn't any space to play in, and that was you know yeah. difficult for us. And you know credit to them, but it wasn't like it sort of tactically outwitted Bill at any point. I wouldn't say. Yeah, and the point I made in the tactical preview is that that um, the way that Swansea play is by sitting their double pivot. So they've got two central midfielders who sit a little bit deeper. Um, and they sit them just in front of the centre backs, and then they push their full backs really far up the pitch, and that's where they get they they attack down the wings. Against Leeds, they just couldn't do that. So they had their they had their two centre central defenders deep, their two central midfielders deep, and then their full backs had to stay deep as well. So they were really quite compact. Um, for, for obvious reasons and so it, it just meant that they didn't really have any of the impetus that they usually have um, when they when they go forward and uh, even just looking at the the involvement that Borja Baston had in the game he just had no involvement at all I don't think he had any touches in the box he only had uh, I think minimally double figures uh, touches as well and the majority of his, his, his passes were in his own half so it's just little things like that where you have to look and see the bigger context but yeah look Swansea have done everything you need to do to beat Leeds but you need you also need a huge amount of luck for that to happen and, they, and they've had it so Do you think it's now because of everything that happened last season with Spygate and Bielsa coming out with all his statistical analysis do you think it's become a bit of a go-to for opposition managers to almost up their game in a sense, but actually refer so heavily towards their strategy and their stats after the game. I think it would make sense, yeah. I think if you're, especially if you're a young manager, and someone, like, don't get me wrong, both Nathan Jones and Steve Cooper are very tactically astute managers. Um, I just think that, you know, as soon as they get their result, they're immediately jumping on this, well, you know, we had tactics too, you know, mm-hmm. therefore give us more credit. And um, I, I just kind of think that's <laughs> that's totally fine, but you have to, you, you, you use tactics and then you still admit that you're lucky. Um, and we've been saying a lot of these have been using tactics and they've been unlucky, so it happens the other way around as well. Indeed. Just a bit of news on Eddie Nketiah. He scored off just four minutes for under-21. So that's a great start for him. Could have scored at the weekend. If he'd, mm. I mean, was there a question to say he should have been slightly braver or do you think it's just an unlucky chance? I mean, looking back at the replays, it looked like the keeper had got a hand to it before uh, Eddie had managed to get ahead to it, which would, I think would have misdirected it just enough to ex- sort of explain why it went into the side netting rather than him doing what he usually does and just tucking it straight away. So I, I don't think it was as easy a chance as it looked, you know. Yeah, and there was the the chance where he's in behind as well, and he didn't manage to get the shot away cleanly enough. Um, the, I think usually he would probably have just outpaced the the defender and got the shot away uh, as well. But yeah, both. I mean, tough tough chances, but particularly the header, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, 
keeper perhaps gets his hand to it, but it could could go anywhere. Um, and that's it's just the difference between that that little deflection and it going wide, perhaps. But yeah, it's 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 hard to take. Um, Bamford as well had a couple of fairly decent chances, particularly a header that he should definitely have hit the target for, and he didn't. So mm. yeah, uh, the, uh, the same old frustrations again. Held Acosta did his best to keep hold of the ball in the corner as he did <laughs> tackle after tackle after tackle. Incredible um, attempt. That just a bit of admin before we move on. Uh, Connor Shaughnessy has, has joined Mansfield on loan in before the deadline shut and also uh, Lawrence de Bock as well has moved on loan to Sunderland an interesting signing de Bock what what happened there well I think that what probably has happened is Sunderland have rung around every club mm. in the UK being like we're, def- we're desperately in need of a left back do you have anyone because I, th- I think if they'd watched him play <laughs> there's no mm. way that they would have picked him up and he's pro- probably the worst player I think I've seen in a league shirt really? since we've gone down because this is a guy mm. who came to the club with, with relatively decent pedigree yeah, I mean, it, it never really made particular sense. I mean, there are a few howlers, I think, that live long in the memory of uh, Leeds United fans. But I, I suppose because he's been disappearing out on loan and stuff, his memories fade. And when deadline day comes rolling around and you're desperate for a left-back, I think people are, you take what they can get by that point. Yeah, I spoke to a couple of guys from Swansea who kind of know what's going on behind the scenes and they suggested it was a little bit more of a, a sort of slapdash end of this end of the uh, window job where they, they just needed a left-back and they were happy to take what they could get, really. So OK, and Calvin Phillips edging closer we keep hearing it <laughs> to a new deal. It's just—it's almost like he's taking baby steps every few weeks. Mm. Yeah, I—I I, like I don't know what's going on, but clearly, there's, clear, there's clearly negotiations taking place, and um, I, I think at this point now you should just need to get them done. Really, and he's—he's he's obviously not moving um, till the earliest next season so you, I, I guess for everyone concerned it's just easier to get it out of the way and get it done but there's clearly there's clearly pressure on on he's putting pressure on the club to, to get as good a deal as he can obviously that's within his rights um, but I think Leeds have a very um, a very specific wage structure that, that I think they're being very careful with because they don't want to just blow open the whole of the of, of their wage packet especially after they've they, we got rid of I think 31 players this this window um, so they're really trying to get the the wage um, budget down. So I think they just happen to be a little bit more careful with that. So that might explain it. I saw um, uh, Phil Hay had reported earlier that uh, I think part of the deal is going to include um, the fact that he, you know the, he, his release clause can be triggered, which will protect him in the event that we don't get promoted this time. So I mean, it, it looks like it is very much kind of a boom or bust situation with us. We, we either go up with him or we have to be prepared to lose him for a decent amount. Uh, it's not season. even a question that Leeds United won't go up this season, <laughs> Jack. This like is trust the process. I like trust your process. process. Trust the process and the stats are good. This is the Leeds United <laughs> fan show on Love Sport. We're going to be speaking to comedian and diehard Leeds fan Mickey P. Kerr next. Love Sport. This is the Leeds United fan show on Love Sport. Myself, Matt Beadle, here with John McKenzie of All Stats, aren't we? We are joined by Jack Hardy. As well, we are going to be speaking to Mickey P. Kerr, the comedian and diehard Leeds fan, in a moment. But just before that, something that we haven't discussed the news that Jermaine Beckford has hung up his boots, chap. Some great moments in a Leeds shirt. Do you have particular fond memories that you'd like to recall? <laughs> I think there's only one memory yeah. that anybody remembers at all. We all, we all know what you're going to say. <laughs> After you, I mean, um, you know, it, it was the goal that started with the worst possible touch imaginable at uh, Man United when he. Who was it that was on the cross? Was it Johnny Housen from, yeah, from Deep? Or was it might even have been Richardson, was it? Really? No, maybe it was Housen. I should know yeah. this, really, shouldn't so I? It was, it was the, the worst first touch the ever, <laughs> and then they tucked it in, and it's the moment that I think will live longer. You know, that's when we're in League One as well. Than almost any Cusack. other goal in the last century. It's crazy. Yeah, and then there was the there was the final 
day of the season goal as well, which was, which yes. was lovely to see us get out of League One. Yeah. So he's been a great servant to the club, and he was a, he was a fun player to watch. We you know we've, it's been few and far between the, uh, the the fun players we've had to watch yeah. in the in the time that we've been down, but um, certainly scored some absolute belters and some genuinely was, dazzling goals as yeah, well, wasn't it? So, for sure, so yeah. yeah, we didn't have many of those in that particular time. And Becchio was always there, but he never quite scored. The, you know, it wasn't the same. But lifting the ball up and getting it in. Yeah, I was always a, a little bit surprised that we didn't quite. Um, he didn't quite hit the same heights with uh, in the Premier League because I thought you know he 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 almost had everything that it that it took to be a, at least a semi decent mm. um, player for a, for a mid table club but it just never really came off. He, didn't he score that goal? He charged about half the pitch for Everton. <laughs> yeah. I, I seem to remember. Yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, Sorry, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah, he did. He was one of those players who he was at Everton and he got his break in the Premier League. And I think he had a great season, scored that great goal that you mentioned and then left and went to the championship. And sometimes mm. you wonder, was it just a lucky season? And the manager, David Moyes, at the time thought, you know what, I've had him. I've had him good for 38 games, but perhaps he needs to move on now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there, there were certainly some games where he would be a bit sort of non-existent from time to time. But, you know, the the type of quality he delivered and the way that he could just snatch something from nothing was you know, he, <laughs> it did not belong in League One at the time that's mm. for sure I mean and that shows by the level of the jump that he made up straight afterwards yeah I think there's some players who they just sort of feel EFL don't they and I think he's probably mm. one of them he's the, I, can, I can think of so many good goals that he scored outside of the Premier League that I just think that that you know with him he probably had fond memories of, of mm. playing in the Championship and, and relished the chance to to do that again but. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he does next. It was nice to hear him on LUTV yeah, doing the co yeah, comms, which was certainly better than Ben Parker. So um, got mobbed outside Ellen Road as well. People charging him down <laughs> and yelling at him, which is extraordinary. Real cult hero. Yeah. Did he really? Mm. I remember seeing Jermaine Beckford. Actually, the first time I ever saw him was when he was uh, Weldstone. Was it Weldstone? If that if yeah, that's yeah, right, that's as right. as a kid when he was oh. in non-league, and I remember assistant manager of the club at the time said. You just wait until you see this guy because he is absolutely rapid. Mm. And that was one of his gifts. You know, always used to hear of these players like the Jermaine McSporrins of this world that <laughs> were in non-league and they were so quick. <laughs> Sometimes they had no control over what they were doing, but so quick with the ball. That was chat about Jermaine Beckford. I'd love to know what Mickey P. Kerr thinks about Jermaine Beckford because he is on the line now. Mickey P. Kerr, comedian and diehard Leeds fan. Mickey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm very well, thanks, mate. Yeah, Jermaine Beckford, what a legend. <laughs> What an absolute legend! Out, out, so I, I remember, I remember him. Um, he, he, had the, he scored about three goals, didn't he? That were just incredible. I can't remember who he was playing for. Someone like League Two, Doncaster, uh, I think it was. Was it Doncaster? It was a Doncaster was, goal where yeah, I think was it was it Scunthorpe maybe. I shouldn't confuse yes, I those think two. Scunthorpe rings about <laughs> in the area, really tight control and top top yeah. left spin. I think it was. Yeah, what, what a great player. Uh, just, it's just retired, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I, uh, I didn't know he. I, I didn't know he was still playing. <laughs> I'm honest with you. Yeah, one of those, but it, it was. You know, Leeds legend is Jermaine Beckford. Wow, a legend. Well, he got a lot about Leeds. Mm. He, um, it's rare you get a striker that, that bangs in 30 plus uh, in a season. Uh, and I'll get to the end of that. Chris Wood was the last to do it for us. Mm. Uh, but Jermaine Beckford it, and it was a meaningful one as well because it, it, it got us out of the mire that is league bob into the ditch that is a championship <laughs> well Mickey you have just returned from Edinburgh Fringe great to have you on yeah. the show what was it like out there that was good mate it's good terrible weather um, but yeah it was good I, I was living in Stuart and Diggs which was a uh, which was a nice reminiscence I was basically living as a student um, you know going to bed between 3am and 6am, getting up at midday, 
I was living with uh, Who's Line Is It Anyway from the Horse Guys, Tony Slattery. And Absolutely, yeah, great uh, show. Frost, yeah, so it was great, yeah, coming back home drunk and then doing comedy sketches with Tony Slattery in my kitchen. It was really good. <laughs> Hey, it's it's John. I was just wondering, how, how do you balance being being a Leeds fan when you're on tour? Is it is it easy enough to do? Do you do you find yourself being able to watch the games, or do you do you find no, no, it's difficult. It's worth it, but there's two things about being a comedian that I find really annoying. One is that it's the constant travelling, which uh, which uh, sometimes it's nice, obviously, but uh, you do a lot of miles. I think thirty thousand miles in the car last year alone. So, and then the other thing is on Saturday. You know, most people have the Saturday off, and that's their time to watch football and go well on the road and or go work wherever it might be. Uh, and I don't get a chance to do that very often. I have to kind of book Saturdays off today, you made paydays, so um, so it's difficult. That's the most annoying thing. But I've got like so I can watch it on the phone, so I do a lot of that, and I, I get to as many midweek ones as I can. How do you strike the balance, Mickey, between uh, trying to make people laugh and then when we have a crushing defeat like we did on Sunday, uh, you know, trying to shake off uh, the yeah, despair? Well, you put it to back it, man. You know, it's like anything. It's job into his work. But that, that was rather frustrating. Uh, you probably got a lot with the Swans, but, um, yeah, I, I was watching in uh, Cardiff, actually. I was over in Cardiff, and uh, the first half was going great, and then... I I went back to my hotel, got the second half on the first ten minutes of the uh, the second half, but then I, I just I just couldn't believe it. We didn't quite play as well in the second half as we did in the first, but we just dominated the game, didn't we again? Um rather frustrating. But the first loss has got to come, hasn't it? So it's just a shame that it's got we've got a two week break now. Mm. Hey. I hate these international breaks. <laughs> But with six games under our belt now in the league, how are you feeling? Are you still feeling positive even despite that result at the weekend? I find that result it's a fantastic performance. Um, the top of the league was doing very well. There won't be many tough Oh, I think we've lost Mickey there. A dodgy line, unfortunately, chaps. We couldn't properly hear him, sadly, because mm. he's a funny fella. I'm sure he had many a tale to tell. <laughs> Edinburgh Fringe, by the way, have you ever been? I've never been. Um, and I went to university in Scotland, so it's a, what? more shame me, I suppose. John, that's a sin, yes. It's, yeah. it's brilliant up there. Absolutely brilliant. The atmosphere is incredible. Actually, something I want to pick up on, what he said there about the international break. He hates the international break. Now, we had the Chelsea fan show on before this, and those guys were saying it's very much club over country at Chelsea very much based towards Chelsea they'd rather see Chelsea win the Premier League mm. than they would see England win next summer's European Championships where do you guys sit on this? Well I follow Scotland so <laughs> <laughs> right. it's definitely club over country One in up against me. Russia at the moment Yeah no, that, that's, that's good um, Yeah <laughs> Also, I think just working as a as a football journalist, I, I really enjoy the international break because it just gives me a bit of a break um, from from the from the all stats on we stuff particularly, which takes a, a fair amount of my time up. It's nice not having to do a preview and a review for for one weekend. So maybe that's me being really selfish. So. <laughs> I quite like the international break. I mean, I'm totally the opposite. <laughs> having having lost as much face as we did on Sunday, you want to restore it pretty quickly. So that's a very very long two weeks you're going to have to sit through. I mean, I suppose it's nice because. You see a couple of the, the young, promising players. We saw Ryan Edmondson scored for the England under-19s yesterday for his uh, first time in the Lions shirt, which, which is nice. But, you know, nice is about as far as it would go, I'd put it, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And next, we are going to be speaking to Andrew Dalton, another stats man, John. Mm, I'm looking yeah. forward to this. A stats overload on the Leeds United fan <laughs> show on Love Sport. This is Love Sport. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening, this is Love Sport. I'm Matt Beadle and this is the Leeds United Fan Show with you through to 9pm, half an hour to go. I'm joined by John McKenzie, as always, from All Stats, aren't we? And Jack Hardy is in the studio as well. On the line now, I'm delighted to say that we have Andrew Stats Dalton, match reporter for Leeds United Women, joining us. How are you, Andrew? Very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Now we're going to get on. No to, problem. We're going to get on to Leeds United Women in a sec, but I've got a question for you, Andrew, because I am led to believe through the grapevine and the Twitter yes. and the Twitter sphere. I'm sure you may have been asked this many times, and I'm sure you might be aware of what's coming next. But is it true? that you can name every single Leeds United fixture in order, all competitions, from 1989 to the present day? I can do every league fixture from 1899. <laughs> the problem from there on in, there was Benefater Systems Cup games, Johnson Pate Trophy Cup games all over the place. So I can do every league fixture since we played Newcastle uh, in August 1989 and lost 5-2 and Mickey Quinn scored 4. <laughs> well, I mean, this is staggering and I wouldn't be in my job if I didn't put this to the test, of course. This is very much like a TV show called You Bet. Do you remember this TV yeah. show? Yeah, remember it well with Matthew Kelly back in the day. There you go. Yes, Darren Day succeeded him as well. Now, this was, of course, anybody that doesn't know You Bet was when people, members of the public, used to come on and do these extraordinary challenges <laughs> and put them to a panel of celebrities. And it would be the most yeah. random collection of celebrities that you could imagine from all walks of celebrity life. But they'd be there and they would say yes or no as to whether this person could do what they were going to do and it's just like this where Andrew would say I can name every single fixture and we would chuck a date at him and he would be able to do it so I'm going to do just that right I'm, <laughs> I'm going on to... the spot now <laughs> you are I'm going to be Matthew Kelly and I'm going to put to you the 6th of September so today's date 2008 yeah. Leeds 5 Crowley's under 2 that's absolutely <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> I mean, that is incredible. I'm not, even, I'm not going to ask you for scorers because that's ridiculous, but the fact you yes. know that is incredible. I've got, I've got one more. Oh, go on then. Right, so we're, it's not today's date. It's going to be Saturday, the 11th of March, 1995. 
Uh, Chelsea now leads three. <laughs> right, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the studio. <laughs> this show can never, ever be topped, Andrew. That's absolutely incredible. Fantastic. What it's a gift. This has got legs of speech. I like it. It really has. Wow, we should get you on every week just to yes. ask that one question. Um, yes. But Andrew, listen, match reporter for Leeds United <laughs> Women. We've got to talk about this because women's football is booming. They're talking about record attendances when yes. the season kicks off this weekend. You are a match reporter for Leeds United Women. Just tell us a bit yeah. about the club. Uh, the, well, the club actually first founded in 1989 and it's been under a lot of different guises. And in 2017, uh, obviously the Leeds United owner Andrea Radrizzani, who had bought the club, brought back the Leeds United Women, went through various different hands, went through Lee Townend and now the general manager Julie Lewis who works at the FA, who has worked at the FA has done a fantastic job to bring back the Leeds United women, to better the excitement for Leeds United women. They had a really good season last year from where they were the year before when they just battled relegation. They got to the County Cup semi-final just losing out to uh, Geisley in the semi-final uh, and the start this year with high hopes of promotion or although they have had a couple of setbacks, especially what happened on Wednesday night uh, against Bradford City, women where they were 2-0 up uh, and unfortunately, the game had to be abandoned through a, uh, a dreadful clash of heads through Chelsea, Stamford of Bradford and uh, Molly from uh, from Leeds United, Molly Hammond from Leeds United. But everything's in place. The train at Thorpe Arch. Uh, they've got a great manager in Dan O'Hearn and uh, they go again against Chorley on, on Sunday afternoon at Thorpe Arch. Hey, Andrew, it's Johnny. Uh, just a question. Hi, John. Can you tell us where they fit into the league structure of women's football? Yeah, it's a bit... Different, obviously, with with Women's Super League because obviously you need the funding to, to get into the Women's Super League. They're in Division One North at the moment, so if they can get promoted this year, they'll be, I think, two steps below where, where the Women's Super League One would be. So it's just a question of, of keep going, and you never know if the, the men actually get promoted uh, into the Premier League. There'll, there'll be more money there to spend, and hopefully, spend it on the women as well. Do you think there's any chance that they could um, go up this season? I think they've got a chance from from speaking to uh, the players, uh, from speaking to the players, speaking to Manchester every game. I think they've got an opportunity there. Yes, I had a setback uh, the other week against Norton, where defensively I think Dan Dan even admitted they weren't at the races. But again, they've got a very good chance if they play out playing in the first forty minutes against Bradford before their injuries, they should be there or thereabouts. The hardest thing is, John, it's only one team that gets promoted. So mm. <clears throat> you've got to be super consistent between now and sort of end of April, beginning of May time. Mm. And uh, have you noticed a particular peak in interest that's come off the back of the Women's World Cup? Yes, certainly with the first game of the season, the first home game against Liverpool Feds, we, we got quite a lot of fans down at Thorpe Arch. We got over 250 fans down at Thorpe Arch. So the, the more times that they do play, the more games that they do win, the publicity will grow and the interest will certainly grow. And certainly I think following England's wonderful performance in the in the World Cup under Phil Neville against the semi-finals, possibly could have got to the final and not been for the missed penalty. I certainly think women's football is booming at the moment. Mm. Do you think that the club have done enough to, to make the women's team accessible to the fans? Do you think the club yeah, could do more? Yeah, certainly. The, 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 they publicise the games uh, on the social media uh, every weekend. They publicise where the games are being played. It's free to get in something at Thorpe Arch uh, for home games. And uh, the players are very accessible on sort of social media. Where they have the mascots every weekend as well, home and away. Uh, and I certainly think the club do, do an awful lot. And they've just started doing a women's show as well on LUTV. Certainly publicise the women's game as well. So. So uh, with a little bit of lady luck, hard on the pun, that they will be there and, and the club are doing everything in their power to make sure they do get into the next division.
obviously you hear quite a lot about the Bielsa system in the uh, men's game. How would you describe the kind of style with which the, the women approach the game? I, I think Dan certainly sort of changed the system from a, a flat back four. He's now gone three at the back. I mean, I'm trying to sort of replicate the way Marcello plays with the men's team. Obviously, taking a time to adapt as it does with any new system. But they try and play out from the back. They play some really good football in the opening game against Liverpool Feds. Uh, and they should have actually possibly won by more. Had a set back against Burnley in the Cup. Well, they conceded two goals in stoppage time. And it was just the, the disappointment against Norton uh, last time out in the league, where defensively even Dan admitted they weren't at the best. Uh, so, yeah, the, the signs are there. It's, it's, it's very early on in the season. They haven't obviously now played two league games because of the, the abandoned game against Bradford City. So, yeah, I certainly think the signs are there that they've got a great opportunity to, to, to get into, into the next league. And from speaking to the players after the games, uh, that's the sole aim is, is to get promoted to Northern League Premier League. We're seeing certain clubs, Andrew, join together in terms of the women's team playing at Old Trafford, playing at Stamford Bridge, playing at the Etihad. Do you think that eventually that could be the case with Leeds, that the women might start yeah, to play occasionally? Yeah, we had games? a game last year at Allen Road that Leeds won 1-0. Emma Bentley scored a lovely goal. Uh, and I think they've got a game booked in for, for to be played at Allen Road. Uh, I think next March time against uh, Durham, Chesterley Street, or Durham Sestrian, should I say. Uh, and again, that'll be well publicised by the club and I hope they get a few fans down there. And it's a great experience for the girls to sort of sample what it's like uh, to play at Allen Road. We've got to speak to you about the men's team as well, Andrew. First yeah. defeat of the season last weekend to Swansea. We've discussed it at length already on the show. Just give us your take on that particular performance. I, I, I think if you look at it, the Leeds have got 13 points from 18. OK, we probably could have won all six, had it been sort of clinical enough. And if you're going to lose a game, and look, there's no time, great time to lose a game, but you can lose a game until an international break. You recharge your batteries. Yes, I had chances to win the game. Uh, but I'm, I'm certainly looking at this team and looking at this season that there's nothing in the league that frightens me at the moment. Fulham are, are a bit hit and miss. Cardiff are yet to start. Swansea could be a bit of a surprise package. Reading are up there. So, yeah, disappointing to lose against Swansea City. But if you'd ask any Leeds fan at the start of the season, you take 13 points from the first 18, get 18 available, you say, OK, so that's the hands off. Uh, and there's a perfect opportunity to put the record straight uh, a ground that no choice we don't do too well at an Oakwell uh, a week on Sunday. You're in and about the club quite a lot. What would you say is the, the change in atmosphere has been since Marcelo Bielsa has arrived? I, I certainly think from, from last season it was certainly the unknown quantity because nobody knew how the season would go and it was a breath of fresh air with the style of football. He brought a culture into the club that, that they just kept going and kept going. You saw that in games away at Aston Villa. Uh, in Blackburn at home over Christmas last year and it's just a willingness to work for everybody else and the attitude just amongst the players is absolutely fantastic uh, yes it was going to lose out to, to Derby County in the playoffs uh, last season but I, I just think it's just a breath of fresh air with Bielsa and you see him when he walks off the coach and he's giving sweets to the school kids and some things we've not seen like Ellen Rowe for many a year so yeah it's, it's all looking good and I think they have got an opportunity this year to hopefully go all the way and avoid those dreaded playoffs Andrew you are a stats man as well, as is John, yeah. my good friend beside me here. Just discuss to me, uh, discuss, sorry, in terms of stats and how you came about analysing stats and where you see it sitting in the game now. <laughs> so from my perspective, it started way back in sort of 1993 through a guy called Seth Pod, who was a football community for a Bradford City and Scarborough player. And I used to go on these football camps as a kid. Um, done by Leeds United in the community and Seth and all the people started asking me football questions and it was just a retention of re remembering scores and score lines uh, and then I got invited on to BBC Radio Leeds on the Alvin Blossom show 
back at Christmas 93 and it just kind of went from there and it's just an extension of information I kind of got a photograph Marie, and I've been speaking to John quite a lot. He, he loves his statistics as well. And it's as you've seen there, someone can ask me a date or something like that for some unknown reason. I just picked the games off the top of my head, and it, it's quite a surreal statistics to have, but it also helps. And obviously, I've got my, my third book coming uh, in a few weeks' time. Oh, I think we've lost Andrew Dalton there. That's a shame. I was going to ask him for one more. <laughs> but listen, crikey, I fear that with that knowledge that he has, that bank of knowledge that he just gets wheeled out by people. I did literally want to go through an entire list <laughs> of fixtures to there. Catch him out. That is phenomenal, isn't it? I can't even remember who he played in the last six games. And I've, mm. like, I've done a huge amount of, of analysis for, for each of them. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible to to hear someone just have a, have that that sort of retention where you can just pick it out of you just you literally just pulled a date. I, of, I just uh, I just couldn't believe I was thinking he's never going to get this. He's never going to get this. I like the fact that he is confused by Carabao Cup and FA Cup. He can't do all of that, yeah. so it shows he's not superhuman. It's, uh, yeah, it's disappointing <laughs> the Johnston Paint Trophy. How many games? How many memorable fixtures in the yeah. Johnston Paint Trophy getting shunned like that? But you know that is fun. I mean, when I think of Leeds games that I can remember, if you were to if you were to say to me a date. I couldn't give you a date. I think mm. I could give you... He mentioned there in 1993, that was the, the end of the first Premier League season, I could give you Leeds' first game and Leeds' last game of that season. I remember, because obviously reigning champs. First game was against Wimbledon, 1-2-1 there. Lee Chapman scored the winner. And Warren Barton scored a bizarre goal for Wimbledon <laughs> to equalise in that game. And then the final game of the season was 3 all against Coventry, because, of course, Leeds didn't win a single game away from home that season so I remember that and I remember the, the pitch invasion with Steve Hodge and everybody else but that's I couldn't even I could tell you when they were but I couldn't give you the dates <laughs> so I think that's still pretty impressive but yeah interesting you said uh, Leeds 3 Coventry 3 because that's the first game that I went to Leeds 3 Coventry 3 not that game but oh. it was another game it was in it would have been in 98 probably and uh, Darren Huckabee scored a uh, hat-trick did he hmm. for for uh, Coventry. Coventry yeah uh, okay and then of course. and then Came to Leeds and broke my broke my small heart when when I was like this can't this can't be. It was the the first game I went to and he scored a hat trick. So there you go. <laughs> there we go. Second game I ever went to, Mark Hughes was playing. That's how old I am. Wow, well, that would have been for Southampton, for right? Everton, for Everton. Crikey, the mm. short-lived spell at Everton. We could talk about this all day, chats, but we're not gonna <laughs> because you probably don't want to hear it. We're going to move on to some listeners' questions on the Leeds United fan show on Love Sport next. Love Sport. This is Love Sport and the Leeds United Fan Show. We've got about 12 minutes left. I'm Matt Beale. I'm joined by John McKenzie of All Stats, aren't we? And Jack Hardy is in the studio with us as well. We're going to move on to some listeners' questions, chaps. First one up is Barney Stewart. What are everyone's thoughts on the inconsistencies with fines in the game recently? Leeds fined for £200,000 for Spygate. Millwall fined 10k for racism. And obviously the recent news about Huddersfield and Paddy Power. I think that was fifty grand, was not mm. it? Thoughts on that one, chaps? Well, I mean, it seems beyond doubt that the Spygate fine was excessive. I think everyone was a bit galled by it at the time, but I, I wonder if it sort of came from the fact that they, they were just sort of having to pluck something out for now. What, what was the, the clause that they got yeah, us under good for that? Faith. Good faith, that yeah. was it. And because there, there was no nothing set in stone, there's no precedent there, they just knew they had to do it for something, it would it's now just seemed to have spiralled out of all proportion. Because when you compare it to something like that, it, it does seem very odd but again I, I don't think that there's anything else that really compares to it. can you compare racism to mm. you know something that betrays the faith of the game mm. yeah I think the Spygate thing is interesting like you say there's this good faith clause in the in the contract that everyone signs up as a team and in the in the AFL and and basically they, they want you to sign that so that you don't 
take the the Mickey with 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 signing up and then pulling out right at the end. And so they they sort of picked picked Leeds up on a, a really sort of arcane bit of law. And I think they were just like you said, they were trying to get something out. And I think because Bielsa was so open about the way that he'd flouted the rules, I think they felt as though they had to mm. make uh, um, some kind of um, they had to make a lesson of him basically. And so I think that's why that it was an overly excessive um, um, fine. Ten thousand pounds for racism is is laughable, um, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And you know, regardless of what you think of the Spygate issue, I think this that has to be taken separately. Mm. When you're when you're charging um, Huddersfield fifty k for for basically a PR stunt with a with a kit, and yeah. then a hundred hundred grand for 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 racism, it does sort of raise questions about how how um, well the the EFL is functioning really. But um, yeah, I, th- there is an undercurrent undercurrent of EFL <laughs> EFL mm-hmm. conspiracy theories amongst Leeds fans I don't necessarily think that's the case um I think Leeds are a, Leeds are a club that, that sort of invite that kind of um treatment as well to to an extent I think because they are so they are so prominent they are so well known um but I don't I'm not entirely convinced that that the EFL were always out to get us I think we we didn't help ourselves all the time either. Well, we're sort of weighed, weighed down by our sense of history as well aren't we and there's always a sense that everything is going to go wrong for Leeds eventually and uh, I, I suppose when people see a decision that goes against us I think it, it's all trying to fit into this narrative that leads can't I think every fan group has that yeah. as well to an extent right I just think that because we've had a sort of really bad run of luck that it is easier for us to say you know that the referees don't give us penalties the EFL give us the harsh fines and they do everything they can to make us suffer um but yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced that, that there's anything in that beyond that. But um, the EFL, we, we, we mentioned before we came on air, the EFL have, have um, charged Derby. They're going to investigate Derby anyway mm-hmm. in 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 the the way that they sort of use their stadium as a way of uh, cr- cr- flouting FFP laws. It's not FFP, allegedly, but yeah, allegedly, <laughs> of course. Um, Thank you, Jack. <laughs> Jack's got my back. Yeah. Um, so you know, the EFL are they're clearly doing they're doing things to to pick up on these things. I, th- I just think that it's just easier for us to feel as they were being hard done by. Mm. I think the, the Derby County case, that's going to really be the litmus test of how harshly Leeds were punished because mm. that that's going to be more of a comparable thing. I think, I mean, Radrazani was right to point out that they're getting fined, with the, sorry, Leeds are getting fined £200,000, or was it £250,000, I forget, but, um, for standing on a public footpath. But if it is found that Derby have in some way broken the laws or the spirit of the game by selling their stadium to Mel Morris to avoid breaching um, financial fair play... And uh, you know they get fined less than that. I mean, it, it, that's where yeah. it's going to become quite yeah. an interesting source of debate. I yeah. think there's 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 flouting the laws, and then there's breaking the laws, and mm. I think that's what that one comes down on the side of breaking the law. So adds another layer of the fact that it's Derby County as mm. well, doesn't it? <laughs> Binky from the Talking Shut podcast has been in touch. Are Leeds United's goal scoring problems down to the wingers? I know you've got a few stats here, John. Yeah, I just I had a look. We we had a chat again about this before we came on air, and we were saying, you know, on one hand, Leeds Leeds are doing everything right, <laughs> there's, 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 apart <laughs> from apart from scoring goals. So a lot of the questions that we've had in have, have been, I think, have had that underlying context of like, how do we get Leeds scoring more goals? Um, in terms of the wingers. I think you know we've got to take it in terms of the context. We we play a system where Pablo Hernandez plays as a whatever you want to call him, a false seven or an inside forward. He drops in a little bit deeper. He doesn't get um, to the byline quite so much as the uh, fullback on that side. Um, and so as a result of that, you're not expecting Pablo Hernandez to score as many. But with with Jack Harrison, um, he is getting into the box. He's getting into dangerous uh, areas. So I had a look. Um, I sorted um, wingers 
basically um, for touches in the box and Jack Harrison is um, so far is the highest um, on that list he's had 38 I think I can't actually read on my phone um, he's, he's had 38 touches in the box um, yeah the- you've, you've got Jack Harrison at 38 Camille Camille Grzycki, 35. Canos of Brentford at 33. Cavaliere at Fulham, 29. And, yeah, Gideon yeah. Harris, 25. So these guys get into the box and they're taking a lot of touches. Um, but when you look at how many goals they've scored, um, Harrison only has the one goal so far. Uh, I think the only person on that list who has fewer goals is Sergi Canos, who doesn't have any, but everyone else has more uh, goals than, than Jack Harrison. So... In that sense, I think what we are seeing is that we're, we're relying on a couple of players for, for goals. We should be, I think, relying maybe a little bit more on Jack Harrison to score. If he's getting in the box, having that many touches in the box, it's, it's, it's unlikely that he wouldn't score more. So, yeah, for me, I would like to see Harrison scoring more. Do, do you think that Jack Harrison has something of a problem in the fact that the person behind him is switching from, from one game to the next, from Douglas, who's the sort of composed, fairly clinical left-back, to Alioski, who I think can at best be described a bit, a bit of a loose cannon? Yeah, we've had we had a piece out this week in, on our medium, um, so a blog post about looking at the the, the differences between in style between Douglas and Alioski. And Douglas is a lot more of a support player, so he um, in, in, interacts with with Harrison a lot more, allows him to play one twos higher up the field. Alioski is a bit more direct um, and gets into the box. We saw that in the in the Swansea game. He had two chances that he didn't take particularly well um but yeah i think when you when you have two different players like that then i i don't think it will necessarily um affect him i just think that sometimes um the the style of douglas probably suits him a little bit better i think he likes to get the ball to his feet and then move whereas with alioski i think alioski is a bit more of a direct player and, and a little bit more of a presser so i think he um gets harrison into scenarios that he doesn't like to be in so much mm. uh, as as when he's with 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 Douglas behind him. so Having rewatched the game today with a slightly cooler head, I mean, I, I couldn't help but notice that a lot of our chances seem to go missing um, more, le- less from kind of the wings, but more breaking down the momentum around the box. So uh, the glitch would stop, uh, and just that beat was enough to let everybody flood the box. He did that two or three times. He'd just stop to try and wait for you know a winger to go past mm. him or something like that. But that was exactly the space that Swansea needed to suddenly do what they were doing quite effectively for the games. Whereas I think one, one of our chances where we really did cut. Um, Swansea Open was when Jack Harrison just did some nice one-touch passing and sometimes there's just a bit too much dawdling I mean this has been the the kind of millstone round our neck for the, most of the last season we, we dawdle a bit too much mm. and the few times we did that kind of quick clinical passing I mean we, we saw it when um, Dallas was put in against on, on goal against Stoke you know uh, that, that really cuts people open but sometimes we just sit back slightly too much you sort of Pablo just tried to walk it into the box a bit too much and that that just gives the defenders the time to throw everybody behind the ball and then we get tied in knots. Yeah, I think it's tough because I think a lot of what Leeds are about is about patient build-up or at least not rushing the build-up phases. Um, a lot of the time when teams are sitting deep against us, you don't even really have that option anyway. So the, the, the Dallas goal against Stoke was a classic example of being able to play at what's called a fourth-man run. So you pass the ball between three players and then they find a fourth player uh, in space. The only reason he could do that was because he was ahead of, uh, I think it was James McLean um, at fullback. There was so much space that he could make that pass. But most of the teams that we're playing against, by in many respects, they're just sitting deep. And it means that you have to move the ball around mm. in order to, but, but to create well. space. I mean, you see, yeah, you see that with Man yeah, City. Of course. You know, that, that's exactly how that happens. Yeah. It's very, very quick, but I fear that we sometimes just do what we do in midfield and sit back and yeah. try and let the chance unfold. But obviously, it just lets everyone get back into the box. Yeah, there are a couple of players, I think, who really differentiate themselves from being truly great players because they don't hit the ball 
quickly. I mean, you mm. mentioned Click, and he would be a name that I would mention. I think he he gets into great positions, takes the ball down, and then it just feels as though he doesn't get the ball away quick enough on the shot. And um, you know, Adam Forshaw gets a lot of stick for his shooting, but I think one of the reasons why Adam Forshaw um, he, one he's shooting from distance a lot of the time anyway. So, <laughs> but um, the other thing is that he you know he the ball arrives and he takes a shot quickly. He mm. doesn't he doesn't often won't take the touch. He'll try and take it first time. And I think that's that is a sign of a player who's played in the Premier League who knows that um, you you do get a benefit for, particularly when you're shooting from from taking the shot the first time and so he tries to get that shot away quickly and I think there's a few of our players who just don't have that that level of uh, incisiveness on, on the shot timings. So. Yes, yeah, so I was saying earlier that I think sometimes Bielsa and how well he drills teams it, it can flatter the players a bit and, and I think the reality is sometimes we just don't have players that are of a high enough quality to just get in behind or just seize those moments you know we saw it with Alioski who squandered a couple of really good chances quite early in the game just because he, he took things too quickly and if you know you just think slow it down a bit yeah it's, it's, I think it's all about getting that balance right between being quick enough that that you are incisive and, and being slow enough that you're not panicking mm. um and that's I think that's why we do so so many um, drilled drill work on on the training field because you want to get people into a habit of doing it just naturally yeah, absolutely. Just before we go, chaps, it's been a great show. We've had a couple of questions about the Enketia Bamford partnership. Mm. Now, Johnny said, is Bielsa likely to start Eddie and Bamford in the same team? If so, what will the shape likely be? And Phil Fraser has added, could Bamford play a Sheringham slash Berbatov, Berbatov role behind Eddie? Sort of a false 10. I mean, it's just it's difficult to know who you would drop. That's the thing. I mean, everyone sort of is a cog in the machine. And, and if you were to start doing it, I mean, firstly, it's something that Bielsa has never really done. He never tends to play with two strikers. So you can see it working, but it also is experimental in a way that I think would frighten Bielsa. You know, he likes to have everything so precisely. It seems like a bit too much of a roll of a dice to imagine. I mean, it could work. It could definitely work because Bamford works hard. He chases the ball down. And he's really, really good at kind of... Um, you know, hounding uh, people halfway up the pitch, so you can see him sitting quite nicely behind Nketiah. But I just, I just don't think it's something that'll ever materialise. Yeah, I don't think so either. If, they, if you were to play them as two strikers, he's going to have to play them in a three-five-two. Um, we've only seen him really do that against teams that play with um, two strikers themselves, a back three. So um, we did see him do that against Brentford at the end, but I think that it's always going to just be a we need to score a goal here. Um, option. It's always going to be like let's throw everyone on for the last ten minutes and see what we can do. So we've seen it there, but I don't. I just don't see it being a go a go to option when uh, unless the the team are playing the opposition are playing a certain way. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you, chaps. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable hour. Jack Hardy, thanks. And John McKenzie of all stats, aren't we? It's a shame Andrew Dalton isn't here in the show. Just to answer one more <laughs> question, perhaps we'll get him on next week when we look ahead to that clash with. Barnsley. It's the Leeds United Fan Show on Love Sport. We'll see you next week. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news, and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.